Greetings, and welcome back to the Slug Club, where all things Harry Potter and mischief are managed. You might notice that I am not our prefect and head of house, Justin. Um, this is Rob, who has not read the books. Unfortunately, Justin is unable to join us this week for this episode because he was trying to practice a germ-cleansing charm on his son and accidentally cast the Geminio charm, and now he was wound up with two babies. It was like the flu powder situation, right? That's what I was going for, at least. The flu powder, where Harry Potter is in there in Chamber of Secrets and for some reason says diagonally. Now, make sure you say it very clear, Harry. Diagon Alley. Here, we'll even let you watch the, the children do it before you do it. All right, Fred, go show them how it's done. Diagon Alley. Okay, Harry, you're up. All right. Remember, very clear, Harry. Diagonally. No, it just. Oh my goodness! What was it in the books though that he was like about to sneeze or something? It might have been because of like you know he's standing in a chimney basically. Yeah. I think yeah. it was like he was about to sneeze or something and tried saying it anyway. Yeah. I mean that's just giving me giving him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know how you mess up that quite so badly. But also with us is our Ravenclaw rep who has repeatedly refused my owls to hang out while she's still in town, Abby. Wow. Uh, hi. <laughs> and speaking of owls, she's back after beginning her postgraduate level work because seven years just weren't enough. Our Slytherin rep, Liz. Hey, yo. Shout out, taking this time, my introduction to uh, note that Justin's friend from work said I was funny. So that is my intro. Unbelievable. You're not going to shout out the individual's name? I don't know her name. Oof. Oh. <laughs> that information was not close. Oh, gosh, we are so sorry. We are so sorry to we Justin's co-worker. She said I, uh, she said I was funny, though. so whoever said that, um, you rock. You know, me and Justin were talking about that, and he said, yeah, she thinks that Liz is hilarious. I was, and we were like, really? I'm the funniest <laughs> person I know. And because Justin isn't here with us, as we all know, there can only be four. One representative from each house here at the Slug Club podcast. And joining us here for the first time, he's a Hufflepuff and proud of it. It's my dear friend, Chris. Hello, hello. It is me. Hope you guys are doing well. It is your friendly neighborhood Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff and proud. Hufflepuff and proud. Chris is like, I'm proud to be a Hufflepuff where everybody's boring as me. Oh, that's just rude. That's just rude. Yike. Oh. But it's okay. You know what? Hufflepuffs are also forgiving, so I, I can look past that. You know, that's a good. It's I've a good said trait. It before Hufflepuffs are the only house that has never had an evil wizard come out of it. It's so true. Welcome. It's true. Thank you. We're are great they people really though? They were. Good I know that that's like some of the Hufflepuff propaganda. Hufflepuff propaganda. I know, right? I'm I'm killing it with the alliteration today. Hufflepuff propaganda. <laughs> But Chris is joining us uh, on a bit of like recovery time because Chris Chris shattered his ankle like Ginny Weasley at the Battle of the Department of Mysteries, <laughs> except it was something far more terrifying. I was about to say was oh. vacation Bible school. They're <laughs> so gonna say like during Quidditch or something. I'm like, yeah, it was less cool than that. Running around with kids, and you know, once you turn thirty, this is what happens. Me and Chris met. We were both pastors at the same church for years, and. Uh, Went all the way from uh, Chris joining us as an intern 
And I, re- I remember the first time that we had a vacation Bible school, Chris, where I where I like left you alone in that uh, barn for like in three hours barn. to paint like uh, random pillars. Yeah, he was like, yeah, just paint it and then just walked away. <laughs> and so I'm just painting and I'm like, it's like it, we, didn't, we didn't even start until like end of day. So it's like five o'clock going on six, going on seven. And I'm just painting these pillars. And at one point I even like walked back into church and Rob's like, oh, hey, Chris, I forgot you were here. Chris, you're still here. (laughs) Well, we've got Chris here with us. And while we've got you here with us, and this is definitely while we're recording this uh, podcast, not not several weeks later, because Mm -hmm. I may have forgotten to ask the one question that Justin asked me to ask our guests whenever they're on the Slug Club podcast. So since we're here in the original recording and definitely not post recording later, much later after the event. Definitely. Chris, tell us about your wand. So my wand is a sycamore wood. It's made of sycamore wood. Ooh. has a unicorn a hair core. Unicorn hair core. There we go. <laughs> 12 and one fourth inch and slightly springy flexibility. And from looking it up, my wand is actually more like some of the, the quirks about it is that it's a questing wand. Like it's eager for adventure. It hates to be bored. In fact, um, if it gets bored, it will just spontaneously just combust, combust from boredom. Like it would rather die than be bored. And the the so, wand literally commits seppuku. It it would. It <laughs> it's was one like, seppuku it's in the middle. Do like, anymore. don't dare put me inside of the broom cupboard. Don't put yeah, Don't put me in the broom cupboard. Don't have me just sitting around the house. You know, as you like Accio for your, you know, your slippers or for the the post or something. And it's like oh no. Gosh. Let's go have adventure. Let's go do something. So what and was so actually, what was the wand wood? Sycamore. 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 Do you think sycamore. that that's the uh, that's the wood that the cabinet that uh, Tom Riddle had in the orphanage was made of? When Dumbledore came to visit him, and all of a sudden the oh, sycamore cabin burst into flames because it was bored. It's like I can't do this anymore. You and know Dumbledore what? is like, I think that there's something in your closet that wants to come out, Tom. <laughs> and it's like it's magic, Dumbledore. <laughs> magic. Magic wants to come out. That does seem pretty uh, on on brand for you, though, Chris, as far as how much I know you, that you're always kind of active and, and getting into things. Um, I am. I'm a curious person. It surprising for a Hufflepuff, though. You know, you know what I, I mean? That Hufflepuffs it, being adventurers. They seem a wand like that doesn't want people. boring people picks the most boring house. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Abby. What was what were you saying? I was going to say, like, I mean, Hufflepuffs, when I think of them, are homebodies. But it's like, you can still want to go do stuff and then go home and just do nothing afterwards. I don't know. Yeah, With Hufflepuffs are like the hobbits of the Harry Potter universe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they just want to lay around, you know, and just enjoy nice food, scratch their giant feet. And you, you know what? I'm like, I know that you say like, but we would make great cooks. They sure would. We, just, we would. Just I mean, like Helga ho- herself. We've got great <laughs> hospitality. Let's be honest. Like, have, um, I know like back in the, the earlier uh, episodes when we were talking about the different houses and just looking at the Hufflepuff room, I'm like, it's always sunny. It's bright. There's, you know, there's plants there. It just feels warm. It's next to the kitchen. It's next to the kitchen. I mean, come on. I know it's down, like, it, it, you know, it, it's like down in the cellar or whatever, but it's comfortable. Yeah. I was going to say cellars It's enjoyable to be there. Yeah. We've got a comfy place where all the food is. I'm telling you, the Hufflepuffs are the hobbits of Harry Potter. 
They're Hogwarts hobbits. I can see that. I, I can too. I can't even deny it. With that being said, the Sycamore Wand, I remember I made predictions to you, Chris, back when uh, I was asking you to be on the podcast with us. And I was like, I'm sure that Chris is going to have unicorn hair, uh, unicorn hair core. That was a given. The only the only question to me, I figured it was going to have some sort of. Ah, I think I thought it was going to be maybe flexible, some sort of flexible rigidity. Um, but it's really hard to nail down what wand would somebody's going to have. What I do love about the Wizarding World questionnaires, and I know I've given them like the ringer and said on the podcast how terrible those questionnaires usually are. I like the wand one the best because it gives you the same questions every single time. And the questions actually have like multiple choices that are kind of like choosing and you, you don't really know what's going to be what unless you, you know, look up like on Reddit or something. Right. So we're still looking for somebody who has a dragon heart string core. I, I thought for sure it was going to be Craig. <laughs> But what was the wand of wood that I guessed for Chris? I think it might have been like Laurel or something. Oh, oh I think I picked Laurel for a uh, Laurel wood for uh, Chris because um, it cannot. The wand cannot perform a dishonorable act. And I was like, if there's anything that says Chris, it's Laurel wood. No dishonorable acts. Chris, so I have a question for you. OK, how much of the Slug Club podcast have you been listening to? I've listened to about, I, I will be honest, I'm not all the way through it, but I listened to about two or three of the episodes of trying to catch up. Oh, goodness. And you Chris. found me most funny out of everyone. Wow. <laughs> just like just like Justin's uh, coworker, yes. <laughs> you don't have to lie. <laughs> you must not tell lies. Uh, we shan't, no, we mustn't tell lies. No, I actually, um, I, I have been listening to a couple of them. And so what episodes have you listened to? I had the the first one Yikes. with the with the houses, right? Yeah. And then I Oh, the house the rankings one. one. The I'm the still mad rankings. about Liz's ranking system. I still believe it was flawed. Are we so good. Well, <laughs> data is data. I don't know what to tell you. The methodology that was rough. So you listened to the the housing uh ranking uh podcast. What else? Have you have you listened to the Earth Day special, the Whomping the Willow one? Willow. Yes, I did. Good. Yes, I did that one. Yep, I listened to that. I, I mean, I kind of agree with like what what was said. I mean, it, it it's a hazard to have on the school grounds, and knowing that it wasn't just something that just kind of grew there. Like Professor Dumbledore requested it there, and I get really my one of my biggest things. What I was kind of going back and forth when I was uh, when the movies were first coming out was how even. Um, because we all know, like, at the beginning, um, when you see the Warner Brothers, like, it gets darker and darker as you go. Um, right. As you get on. As literally you, as you each move on movie. Even, literally the, goes, even the music gets more even haunting. Even the music gets more darker. But mm. what also changes is the Whopping Willow. You see this big, giant Whopping Willow in the first two see, in the first two movies. And then this third one, it has, like, all these vines. It's more, um, it's more of a weeping willow. It literally is more of a weeping willow. And it's kind of, it kind of moves the story along. It kind of gives some humor to it. Yeah, like as the, as they were going through the school year, as the seasons were going through, like it was blossoming or it was covered in snow, so it shook it off. So oh yeah, 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 the changing seasons in yeah. that uh, in the third movie, especially with the Whomping Willow. Yeah, and then they don't really show much about the Whomping Willow too much after that. 
until like the I think the seventh movie, the eighth movie, when they have to go back to it because they're retracing their steps. Right. So uh, I'm happy yeah. to be here and I'm ready to get started. My Ooh. final question, Chris, about the podcast: Have you listened to the Great Snape debate? <laughs> I still need to listen to that one. <laughs> I looked at that one and said, "Okay, I need to do that one." Unforgivable, Chris. But and speaking been... of unforgivable, this is our perfect segue into our topic today. <laughs> yeah. Because today we're going to be talking about the three spells in the Harry Potter universe that are so vile, so repugnant to wizard kind that they have been banished, labeled as unforgivable curses. Of course, this was back when the Ministry of Magic was first formed. It was reformed from the old Wizards Council and turned into the Ministry of Magic. And then, back in 1717, there were three curses that were labeled unforgivable. The Imperius Curse, the Cruciatus Curse, and the Killing Curse, Avada Kedavra. Or, as Lord Voldemort calls it, diagonally. I thought, I mean, I know that Voldemort can cast the uh, cast those spells non-verbally because he does it in the books and the movies. That he casts the Killing Curse without using the incantation. Like, don't you think that he would be self uh, like self conscious about how he pronounces the spell? Or maybe there's a certain point where you've just surrounded yourself with yes men that are fearful of you that they don't pull you aside and like, hey, my lord, with all due respect, the other Death Eaters have been talking. <laughs> and I don't wanna I don't wanna be a whisper snitch. But Rodolphus Lestrange was waving his wand around frantically back at Malfoy Manor and was was mocking you, sir. And everybody was like, Oh, I know who that is. That's our Dark Lord. It reminds me a lot of... Um, has anyone watched um, that like YouTube clip of like Benedict Cumberbatch trying to save penguins for like, um, like this documentary that he was doing the uh, voiceover for? No? Were these outtakes of one scene where he was trying to save penguins? Or was it like just the compilation of Benedict Cumberbatch trying to save penguins? Is it a British thing? So he kept calling them, like, just look up on YouTube, like, Benedict Cumberbatch and penguins or something, and it should pop up. But he says, like, Pinglings, penguins, ping, like any, like just not penguins, and the whole time, not the like, penguins, penguins, like, and it's just, I was thinking, how is it that no one has said to him while like listening to him record this, hey, it's penguins, and it's just, he'd be like, ah, yes, the penguins. But today we're talking about the curses, these unforgivable curses. Um, and we're going to be giving brief overviews and talking about our own thoughts and opinions on these curses. Are they really deserving of being here on the unforgivable list? Um, what are the moral implications, the reasoning why these uh, different curses are banned? Some of them might be more obvious than others. But we're going to start with probably what could be the lightest of the unforgivable curses. Um, this is the Imperious Curse. Uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and give us just an overview of this curse and what it does. So the Imperious Curse is pretty much a curse of control. Uh, the user would cast it on a person and you can tell them to do whatever and they would do it pretty much is what it comes down to. 
And uh, as you read the books and even in the movies, they they tell you that during the um, during during the wars, during the Dark War, the Wizard Wars, um, when Voldemort was first coming uh, and taking control, was that one of the biggest issues with um, trying to figure out who was serving him and who wasn't was that there was the Imperius curse because some people would just lie and say, oh, someone someone used the Imperius curse on me and they told me to go (laughs) steal, you know. Uh, this item or to go kill this person. And I, I, you know, there's nothing else I could do. I had to because I was under the curse. And so how do you, how do you decide, you know, who are the liars and who are the real followers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The classic ironclad imperious defense. Most famously, the defense was used by Lucius Malfoy after the first wizarding war, mm-hmm. where he claimed that he was only doing Lord Voldemort's bidding under the influence of the imperious curse. And unfortunately he got off, but he did break his wrist broke his wrist on the way out from high-fiving everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Got off scot-free until he was caught in the uh, Battle of the Department of Mysteries after the fifth year, and he served a short time in Azkaban prison. Which Draco was very salty about. He sure was. And speaking of Draco, as we're talking about the Imperius Curse, the reason why the Imperius defense was so prominent was because there are even examples in the books of people using the Imperious Curse, commanding other people to use the Imperious Curse. Mm-hmm. We see oh, this yeah. with Draco Malfoy in the Half-Blood Prince. He uses the Imperious Curse on Madame Rosmerta to use the Imperious Curse on Katie Bell to command her to bring a curse necklace to Albus Dumbledore. I mean, that's like that's like mafia-level kind of uh kind of genius work right there it's like oh i can't have i can't have any of my uh my fingerprints on any of this here i'm gonna imperious curse somebody to imperious curse another person but what exactly are the feelings that somebody gets when they are put under the imperious curse i believe that it's uh it's pretty pretty interesting right Right. So when harry was put under the imperious curse as a test by who was Barty Crouch Jr. pretending to be Mad-Eye Moody in book four, Goblet of Fire. Very um, confusing ever to reference Barty Crouch Jr. or Mad-Eye well, Moody I mean, in that movie. The entire thing is very confusing. But um, So uh, Professor Moody, we'll call him, um, he was training the students like how to combat these curses and about the curses. He put Harry under the Imperious Curse. And I remember it being described as he kind of felt like he was on a cloud and not really understanding what was going on, not aware of his senses. But he could hear this voice. Yeah, he said it was dreamlike. Right, telling him what to do. And it when he was questioning the voice is when the voice got harsher and harsher and harsher and he was able to wake out of the Imperious Curse. But it seems as though most people, they just kind of accept it like, oh, maybe I'm in a dream and this is not real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that from my research, it seems to be like this euphoric feeling, this sensation that the people who are under the curse uh, have where they are freed from any sense of responsibility or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Isn't that just interesting? This mm-hmm. euphoric, and that's what causes them to be susceptible to command. So it's not even just that the imperious curse forces people, it literally removes their sense of personal responsibility or anxiety or fear of consequences. And then that places them in a susceptible place 
to be able to be convinced or to be able to be uh, persuaded to do certain tasks. So definitely the best out of the three curses. What do you mean by the best? How, I was like, how do we define the best out of the unforgivable curses? I was going to say, curses? they're unforgivable. The worst? They are, but I mean, if you had to pick to be under the influence of oh, one. yeah. If, like, if you had to pick. Pain, okay, I mean, that's die. fair. Because we, we, I don't think anybody's like, I'll pick the kill curse. Avada <laughs> 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 Kedavra, I'll take what's Thank behind door hour. number three, but, please. <laughs> but I mean, I guess it depends on what you're made to do. Because, like, the killing curse is considered to be pain-free. You're just gone. Whereas with yeah. the Curious curse that oh. could force you to like hold your hand over a burning stove or like saw your own leg off or oh like, gosh, like oh, it's so dark. Well, oh, right. yeah, that's so, even Bellatrix didn't do this kind of stuff. <laughs> but I mean, like it could get really terrible, or you're just told, hey, give this uh, cursed necklace to the headmaster, and then you're off the hook. So I mean, I guess it depends on what you are told to do. The Imperious curse, I think it has more flexibility as to what side effects you will have to go through versus cru the Cruciatus and the Killing Curse are pretty straightforward. I think it's interesting that you say that, Abby, because it seems like at, at like first glance, the Imperious Curse does seem to be like the lightest, like the most forgivable of the unforgivable curses. Mm. And we see that because there are, wait for it, heroes so-called heroes who re uh, resort to these curses in the movies and the books. Um, the first, of course, being none other than himself, the chosen one, Harry Potter, right. who uses it on the, the Goblin Bank Master, which, what is his name? Bogrod. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Bogrod. And he was uh, caught, put under the Imperious Curse by Harry and convinced to lead a disguised Hermione Granger as Bellatrix Lestrange. Remember, she took the polyjuice potion. Ron, of course, they don't give Ron any polyjuice potion. They just put a beard on him like he was a Russian runaway. <laughs> like he was the victim of a kidnapping. And like, here, just we'll dye your hair and put on this fake beard. <laughs> like, I don't think they even put on a fake beard. I think they gave him like a fake beard charm. Ron just... I mean, to be fair, though, hasn't he been kind of treated like that throughout the entire series? Eh, whatever. Right. It's like when uh, they tried to uh, dress up the uh, family ghoul as Ron. Yeah, right. During his seventh year <laughs> to <laughs> give an excuse it. for why he doesn't uh, attend Hogwarts in his seventh year. They're like, oh, yeah, that's passable. They dressed up the family ghoul and tried to convince everybody that Ron, poor Ronald has splattergoid. And they're like, yeah. And everybody looked right at there. that ghoul dressed as Ron with a red wig on. <laughs> and they were like. Yep, that looks like the poor sucker to me. <laughs> My question is, though, if they put a beard growth spell on Ron, how did every 13-year-old boy at Hogwarts not know that spell? <laughs> I feel like every teenage boy That's actually really would, be, would be bearding themselves up, bearding each other. Like, forget about the back bogey hex that Ginny Weasley's casting around. I want to see the beard growth hex. That just pops on these full-grown beards like lumberjacks on these 12-year-old boys. I would love to be a fly on the wall in Madame Pomfrey's like, hospital wing because I guarantee stuff like that happened all the time. I'm sure that happened to Madame Pomfrey. And we've already talked about how Madame Pomfrey is just an enabler of dangerous practices at Hogwarts That's just to keep her own job security. Because <laughs> <laughs> if the place is too safe, you don't need a hospital wing. 
I mean, but come on, you're giving twelve year olds wands and teaching them magic. She she doesn't need to do it. She's got job security. Like I've said in previous episodes, it was the nineties. You know what I mean? Child endangerment wasn't as big of a concern. That's fair. I'm sure if there were a book about Hogwarts in the year twenty twenty, everybody would be wand free, just like Dolores Umbridge envisioned, you know? Her greatest dream. Everything's just theoretical. Anyway, so Harry uses it. Also, Ron uses the Imperious Curse on the same poor goblin. Poor Bogrod. Yeah, he had a rough day. Had a very rough day. After the thief's downfall washes away the curse and he's finally provided clarity, he's given his own autonomy back. And what happens immediately? Imperio. Mm-hmm. And Ron, how, how weenie-ish of Ronald... <laughs> Weenie. Like he only jumps in on the Imperius Curse bandwagon, like, well, I'm not gonna let this guy Harry out Imperio me. <laughs> He's like, Well, if Harry did it, then I guess I'm in on this. That just shows what how uh how boys, when you group them together, they lose all responsibility. But also, talking about we've talked about the irresponsible boys, but let's talk about one of the most responsible characters in the entire series. Minerva McGonagall used the Imperius Curse to confine Amicus Caro in the Ravenclaw common room. She did, didn't she? You want to talk about cold-blooded, though? Barty Crouch Sr. cast the Imperious Curse on his own son, Barty Crouch Jr., to be kept under house arrest. I mean, to be fair, it was either that or he had any joy in life and hope sucked out of him every minute of every day in Azkaban. So, eh. so did he never go to Azkaban then? He no, did. He and then, I thought he did. He did, yeah. And then um, yeah, that's what I thought too. Yeah. Well, his mom was dying, and her wish was to like replace him. Oh, so him. yeah, I remember that. Yeah. She did replace him. She wound up yeah. taking a polyjuice potion. They snuck her. Um, yeah, and snuck s- her in, and then she died there. Yeah. And remained in the form of Barty Crouch Jr. because she was dead. Mm-hmm. And they disposed of the body. That's how Barty Crouch got away. I mean, I thought that it was clever when Sirius Black was like, oh, I'll just turn into a wolf. Dementors don't care about animals. I'll just turn into a dog. Slipped right out, undetected. And then Barty Crouch Jr. went on to cast it on like 17 different people, including students at Hogwarts. But he got permission from Dumbledore. He got permission from mm-hmm. Dumbledore to cast the Imperious Curse on these students, making poor Neville Longbottom do a series of gymnastics. Also had uh, Lavender Brown uh, imitating a squirrel, telling me he didn't just get a kick out of this. I feel like, you know, Barty Crouch Jr., he was one of the best teachers that they ever had at that school. Barty Crouch Jr., this is the question, like, because what would his motives be for teaching students the the unforgivable curses if not if it was his own twisted sadistic things i think part of it is he kind of knew that like that might be something that because mad eye moody was known for being kind of squirrely and eccentric and like pushing the limits for things and so i think he kind of knew that was something that like if he asked for that it wouldn't even be questioned like ah yeah moody would say let's try out an unforgivable curse on some students. Let's see what happens. The only problem is that in doing so, especially casting it on Harry, who is able to successfully resist the curse after several different attempts, that 
trained Harry to be able to resist the Imperius curse further on in his life. Mm-hmm. Specifically, in the Department of Mysteries battle against uh, Lord Voldemort. Also, when he was in the graveyard, uh, Tom Riddle's graveyard, Tom Riddle Sr., that is, yeah. during uh, during the whole reju- rejuvenation uh, ritual that they were doing to bring back the Dark Lord, that uh, Voldemort cast it on Harry to get him to force him to ans- uh, answer questions. But then Harry, because of the training of Barty Crouch Jr., is able to resist. So I just don't get why he would be casting this curse, training these students... How to uh, how to be able to resist the curse that they would be eventually using on them? I feel like so Barty Crouch Jr. is a smart individual. Like it's talked about, he is he was very smart, and I think he liked the idea of like you know being able to show exactly how clever and how intelligent he was in the setting without like any sort of judgment about who he actually was. But. I will say that is a topic we should talk about another time. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like there, that needs to be a deep character study on Barty Crouch Jr. And we call it the many tongue lashes of Barty Crouch Jr. <laughs> Where he's always doing that weird gross snake thing. Oh, yeah. That... Eventually, you think that Voldemort will be like, hey, man, the snake thing is my is my thing. Like, that's that's me. I've got the snake. My face looks like an ugly snake. I've got scaly skin. You can't be doing that tongue thing around me, man. You're killing my mojo. But uh, the word for the Imperius curse, because the uh, the incantation is Imperio, um, Imperius uh, comes from the Latin word Imperiosus, meaning to command or to uh, mighty or powerful. Um, it also means to rule over people. Um, so this is also the root of the word imperative, which is a verb that acts as a command. So if I tell somebody to go, that is an imperative. It's a direction, a command to them. For those who are D&D nerds, the command spell that uh, that forces people to, uh, to comply to your orders, um, those are similar things that are going on there with the Imperious Curse. So I think we've agreed, though. The lightest of the three curses, right? Maybe. What if you use the Imperious Curse for good things? Kind of like Harry and, uh, Harry and uh, Minerva. There's definitely like it's. It's like you can't use ink in uh. What's that word? Incarcerous. 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 The spell that puts ropes around people. Oh. Um, what is that? Oh, what is it? There's someone out there that is probably disappointed we don't know this. Incarcerous. Is it? Oh, it's incarcerous. Sorry. Yeah, that makes more sense. Incarcerous. Ah, I'm an idiot. Didn't read the books. Well, that wraps up the first curse on the unforgivable list. Now, the second one being a lot more gruesome. So, boy, I don't even know what to... I don't even know what to... I'm going to pass this one off to you, Liz. Yeah, so the second unforgivable curse is the Cruciatus curse, which essentially um, is... Even though they're not physically undergoing torture, mentally they feel as though they are. So um, when we first experienced the Cruciatus Curse, Mad-Eye Moody, i.e. Barty Crouch Jr., um, performs it on a tarantula or a spider. 
Um, and this spider shrivels up in pain and is just rolling around, um, undergoing severe torture, even though nothing physically is inflicted on him. So uh, different times that we've experienced the Cruciatus Curse throughout the books. Um, we know that Neville Longbottom's parents are now in St. Mungo's. Uh, because they were under the influence of the Cruciatus Curse by Bellatrix Lestrange. Um, mm -hmm. And they were tortured so badly that they went insane. So Insane beyond magical repair. And that's a big thing with, uh, with things like dark magic, is that they're unable to be repaired, leaving like these long-lasting biological effects. Mm -hmm. it's, like how, uh, it's like how George Weasley... Uh, loses part of his ear and it can never be healed. Or Harry Scar even, you know? Right. It's just there forever. I'm sure Harry probably was looking for some sort of cream. As soon as he found out about the Wizarding World, he was like, okay, can somebody fix this? I'm tired of bangs, everybody. I'm yeah. sure there could have been. He could have found his skin tone, put in some makeup on, and then A had magic concealer. <laughs> Right, permanently stayed on so it wouldn't rubbed off. There were ways to get around that. The girls like scars, so what can we say? Other uh, individuals we know were um, either performed the Cruciatus Curse or experienced it. We already talked about Bellatrix Restrained performing it. Um, she performed that on Hermione Granger when they mm -hmm. were in Malfoy Manor. Yep. She was trying to find out from Hermione where they got Godric's sword from. The Caros would use the Cruciatus Curse to torture the students um, as a form of... Uh, like punishment. Punishment, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure Filch was a huge fan of using torture on the kids. Well, he missed the screams that were heard in the dungeons. When he was like, oh, yes, I've been missing these screams. Yeah. <laughs> This is even better than when we hung kids up by their thumbs. That's what I was thinking of. She used to talk about the good old days. Yep. Mm -hmm. Who else do we know that has been under the Cruciatus Curse or has used it? So Harry himself used it um, on Bellatrix. Yeah, he after, attempted to um, use it. Yeah, well, he attempted to use it on Bellatrix, but, like, you know, after she killed Sirius Black. And, um, you know, she he only caused temporary pain on her. And, you know, she's kind of made fun of him was like you know you have to mean it in the seventh book um during the battle of hogwarts or right before um he uses it on amicus um caro and like when he um slapped mcgonagall yeah that's what happened he smacked her and so then he cursed them so I oh, think uh harry did yeah harry crucioed the caro brother for slapping oh yeah you figure very, you have better resources, you know what I mean? I was very bummed they left it out of the movie, but I guess I kind of get that maybe they're trying to teach kids to not retaliate. I think they're trying to maintain <laughs> Harry's good uh, good personal image. His good public image. But yeah. And I definitely gotta go back and reread that. I don't remember that. Yeah, um, there's a little... Uh, it. Let me see. It says... Harry shouted, Crucio, the Death Eater was lifted off his feet. He writhed through the air like a drowning man, thrashing and howling in pain. And then Wait, so this wasn't after a slap. This was after he so spat after... in McGonagall's face. So Maybe he spat. That might have been it. He spat in McGonagall. Oh, that's that. I was like, hey, you know, it's just a slap. But then I found out it's, a spit it's spitting in the face. And I'm like, oh, torture that man. <laughs> torture that 
man. McGonagall was like, Harry, you can't do that. And he's like, well, he spit on you. And she's like, wow. Maggie Smith is a saint. So, yeah, he attempted the first time and successfully uh, cursed someone the second time. But I think that's the only other times I can think of. That's something that's interesting that we see these heroes who are resorting to using these spells, but it's not something that was unforeseen. This has happened before. During the first Wizarding War, Barty Crouch Sr., when he was the head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, actually legalized the use of the unforgivable curses for auras to use, basically Mm -hmm. giving them all a license to kill, torture, and command Death Eaters. Of course, this was repealed and was brought back to normal that nobody can, you know, kill anybody after the Wizarding War was over. But uh, auras like Mad-Eye Moody especially had a field day. (laughs) Mad-Eye was like, oh, you thought I could take down Death Eaters before? Practicing while he's looking in his faux glass. This guy's one. He's like, pew, pew, pew. Yeah, just like that. (laughs) Just like that. What's interesting about the Cruciatus Curse, it uh, the root word of it, coming from the Latin, uh, literally means pain or to torture people. And yep. we get the words excruciating from this mm-hmm. word. Also, crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Crucifixion, the most uh, painful torture that was ever devised by people. The Romans were barbarians. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, they were pretty sophisticated, but their torture devices were pretty barbaric. They found a pretty sophisticated measure of torture, though. Yeah, they did. Yeah, that's right. The Romans were barbarians, but they advanced every single aspect of life. Science and road building. Built all those roads across the world. Advanced water transportation technology. Built the aqueducts. Also, advanced torture by crucifixion. What? I mean the aqueducts. So, which, funny enough, was also like their way of entertainment. Like, yeah, you think of like um, liars with the thieves, and they got thrown into the Colosseum, and you're just watching people be torn to shreds by lions. Like, oh, I listened just... to a whole podcast on the subject of torture. It was called Pain Fortainment. It was this interesting phenomenon how, for you know, time immemorial, that there were uh, that tortures, that executions were like public events. Like people would like rent rooms when they knew that a to- when an execution or a torturing was going to take place. Right. Pretty sinister stuff. While well, we're talking about sinister with the Cruciatus curse, and what I think is like incredibly like dangerous and pernicious about the Cruciatus curse in particular is that you have to have the intent to torment and torture the victim. You have to really mean to cause pain. I think that. While we just got from the Imperious Curse being the lightest of the Unforgivable Curses, I think that this is by far probably the worst. Because you're, you're, you're not just looking to end somebody's life, but just to subject them to absolute torment and unimaginable, unbearable pain. And that's kind of, that's the kind of vindictive, sadistic mindset I can't believe that, that Harry indulged in. But hey, wow. once you've already, it's a slippery slope. Once you start using Imperious Curses on goblins, you know what they say. Next thing is using the Cruciatus Curse on uh, on teachers. 
And then the next thing you know, you're going to be smoking reefer in the bathroom. I say it's a, it, what do you say? It's a gateway drug now. <laughs> it's a gateway curse. The imperious the curse, man. Curse. Ain't it the truth? I I get. Well, I guess it. Rob, you kind of mentioned, I guess, a, a point going back to like which one is the worst. I guess there's. You can almost break that into two and say which one is worse for the person it's inflicted upon, but which one is worse for the user? Oh, mm. what do you mean by that? Well, um, like for like you said, the cruciatus you have to want to inflict pain on them. Like the Imperio, I guess like, I don't, at least I don't remember hearing or reading anything that like, you have to be in a certain mindset, like you can just do it. They're like, okay, I focus on it. I do it. Yeah. The Crucius, you have to want, like, I want you to have, like, I have to have so much hate or so much angst against you that I want you to feel pain. And then we know about Avada Kedavra, um, Kedavra, like, I don't, I don't want to spoil it because we're not there yet, but, you know, what you have to go through in order to even cast that. I like what, what you're saying, talking like. about not just the effect that the curse has, but the mentality that you have to have yeah. just to be able to cast yeah. the curse. Yeah. I agree with you totally. I do think that the Imperious Curse does have that requirement of having this mental state where you have to be willing and intentionally wanting to dominate the will of somebody else. And I think that's the reason why the Imperious Curse was placed on the unforgivable list was because it took away the autonomy of the individual. Right. This is during this this curse is banned history lesson during the Enlightenment. <laughs> during the Enlightenment, there is this revolutionary thought between philosophers, and I'm sure that this permeated into the magical community. I'm sure Descartes was probably a wizard or a squib at least. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, but all these ideas of liberty and these inalienable rights that were God-given being life, liberty, and property, but these inalienable rights being placed on people, and those should not be taken away by other individuals or by a governmental entity. And that flew right in the face of the imperious curse, which is used to dominate the will of another person, to take away their liberty, take away their autonomy, and to control them. Unforgivable. Yeah. <laughs> Unforgivable. That's what you are. There's got to be it. There's got to be a cover of that somewhere on YouTube. I just, there's got to. That's got <laughs> That's why someone by now has, just, has said, yeah, let's do this. Like a killing curse that clings to me. If there is a YouTube video spoofing this, drop it in the comments. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Well, while we're talking about the curling curse, let's move on. Um, Abby, you want to take care of uh, what? Give us just a general overview of the effects of the killing curse. Well, so the killing curse, which is obviously Avada Kedavra. So I was kind of mulling over this while you guys were talking about like that mindset you kind of need to have. Um, for, you know, performing the Cruciatus curse versus the Imperius curse. And, um, you know, it's in order to like, so Barty Crouch Jr. addressed this um, when he was talking to the students and going over the three different curses. And he said, Avada Kedavra is a curse that needs a powerful bit of magic behind it. You could all get your wands out and point them at me and say the words. And I doubt I'd get as much as a nosebleed. So you kind of, oh so you like, it's that whole mindset of it's like, you know, you've got to mean it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, which I guess in a way, maybe it's a nice thing. You know, you probably don't have to worry about it happening accidentally, you know, 
It's not like you don't oh, have to worry. It's like the it's like how it's, like it's you don't like have to worry about an, a three year old picking up somebody's wand and accidentally avada cadavering somebody. Right, basically. So uh, it's like the safety setting on the curse. As I mentioned before, it is a painless death, so it's very instant. It is got a ninety nine point nine 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 percent mortality rate. Um, that's right obviously the chosen one escaped that but um everyone else dies there's no counter spell for it right no counter spell it's just i mean i guess you're uh harry you know throwing out uh what's his uh go-to spell that he's always using expelliarmus you know apparently that that threw it right back at voldemort and yeah that was the end of it a spell he was taught by none other than severus snape great man yeah. Well, it was the dueling club in their second oh, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're but right. Snape cast it on, uh, cast it on uh, Gilderoy Lockhart. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. So, as I said, instant death. Um, you feel nothing. So I guess that's a pro. Whereas with the Cruciatus Curse, you feel everything. Um, they don't really know what it is that causes you to die. They think. You know, it might be um, the victim's internal organs just suddenly cease to function. Don't really know what it is, though. You just drop dead. Um, and, of course, when you cast a spell, it's a blinding green light, which haunts Harry's dreams for many years. Um, well, as far as being painless, though, uh, doesn't Harry describe it as uh, as an ironclad punch? If you die, you know, it's just kind of that's it. But well, I, guess I guess Harry is unique in the sense yeah. that he didn't die, but yeah. the, the curse only killed the fragment of Lord Voldemort's soul within Harry, which might be the nerdiest sentence I've ever put together in my life. <laughs> I'm not really sure, but I mean, I guess, like, it's that, like, I mean, maybe it is, you know, very much because he's still alive. That is, like, what you would feel if your body didn't instantly shut down, right? It's that whole thing, too, where, you know, to kill someone, you're ripping your soul apart in a way. So, you know, Voldemort, that's his go-to way of uh, getting his horcruxes, was right. uh, just murder everyone. But, yeah, as, as you mentioned, no counter curse cannot be blocked. Um, it can be dodged, I guess. Um, yeah, you can dodge it, or if it hits something else. Yeah. You know, yeah. like a phoenix. Yeah, yeah, like a phoenix. Um or it can it says it can be intercepted with um you know other spells particularly the stunning spells um oh so you can collide it yeah which i think is basically you know what harry was doing with expelliarmus right cuz i'm pretty straight sure up stun death stun death yeah other people that encountered it obviously harry's parents they died um bellatrix tried to uh i feel like everybody <laughs> <laughs> Bellatrix used on Sirius. He died. Yeah, he died. The spell uh, was used against Hagrid, though, wasn't it? But it only stunned him in the Battle of Seven Potters. I don't know. I don't. I believe that the spell was that the Killing Curse was used on Hagrid during the Battle of Seven Potters, but because of his half giant blood, it did not kill him. But I feel like it would kill anything. Like yeah, like it's just life in general. Like, are we sure it wasn't like because they were. They it's were using non-lethal life. spells. So did like someone spell like bounce off or like get misdirected and he got hit like in the crossfire? Somebody somebody fact check me on this one. I'm gonna look it up. 
Because, I mean, like, Bellatrix killed a fox, I think, with it. Um, Bellatrix did kill a fox. I yeah. mean, that's warning sign right there. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the first time Bellatrix was using mag- magic to torture <laughs> small animals. I'm just, just taking a guess. In chapter four of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. the seven potters, Hagrid does not get stunned at all. He falls off of the bike conveniently as they reach the burrow. Mm. It is then spread eagle on the ground. He was fell because he was pulling a Death Eater off of the motorbike that had launched on trying to get Harry after they found out. Oh, well, that's dumb. So one thing that is interesting, I mean, I did want to bring this up, of course, because I've been bringing up the etymology of all the different curses. Mm. Avada Kedavra actually comes from Aramaic. Really? Actually comes from Aramaic, and it was a a phrase that meant, let the thing be destroyed. Let the thing be destroyed. Now, of course, this was like an Aramaic prayer, or not really a spell, it was like a prayer, but you would, now, listen, listen, hear me out, because J.K. Rowling turned it into something different, and she admits that she did that. Um, but she turned the expression where the expression was usually used in reference to illnesses or sicknesses. And people would, you know, give that kind of incantation, that prayer and say, let the thing be destroyed, meaning the sickness or the illness, let it be eradicated, let it be gone. Um, and then J.K. Rowling took it and was like, nah, forget the sickness. I'm making it that person. <laughs> Sorry, Influenza. I'm taking down the host. One thing that is interesting, though, because we talked about how Harry is the only one who has survived the killing curse, but also um, Dumbledore in the Battle of the Department of Mysteries when he's having that showdown with uh, Voldemort mm-hmm. uh, there at the fountain. Yeah. He enchants one of the statues of the Fountain of Magical Brethren, the centaur statue, to take shots for Harry. So Voldemort casts the killing curse and it hits the centaur statues, which doesn't destroy the statue because it's not alive. Right. And therefore protecting Harry from the killing curse because Dumbledore knew now isn't the time for you to die, boy. But later, that'll come later. Fox was hit with the killing curse. Am I right about that? Uh, Hedwig was. I know Hedwig was, but wasn't Fox hit with a killing curse? I don't think so. But then it's just, it's a phoenix, so it comes back to life anyway. I mean, that would be convenient. If that's yeah, that right. makes sense. Uh, hmm. this would, if, if this is the case, if Fox did get hit with the killing curse, then it kind of ruins my theory that, that uh, Fox was Dumbledore's horcrux, which should be another topic that we cover in a different podcast. All right, so the Google is not uh, auto-searching uh, things, which tells me, ooh, in 1996, in the duel against Lord Voldemort in the Ministry Atrium, Fox swallowed a killing curse intended for Dumbledore, thus giving Dumbledore time to defend himself against Voldemort's second incoming attack. Two points! All right. I'm impressed. Rack them up, guys. I was getting nervous because I was filling in the typing on Google, and I was like, was Fox? And it was like, uh, like the suggested searches was like, was Fox his real name? <laughs> <laughs> and then as soon as I put in H for hit, was Fox hit? And, I, and it was just blank. Nothing. I was like, oh, no, this isn't looking good. <laughs> but anyway, 
Harry is able to successfully avoid during that battle the killing curse in general, but he did survive the killing curse when he was a child because of the sacrificial love of his mother that uh, placed protection over him, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, winds up being the theme of the entire series. Spoiler alert is that love is the greatest form of magic that there is. But what's interesting is that Harry is the only known wizard to have survived, not only survived, but to have resisted all three different unforgivable curses. Think about it. He resists it as a child, and all that is left on him is the mark of a lightning bolt, which, if you look on the uh, Wikipedia, the fan page for Harry Potter, under the Killing Curse section, there is a hand movement for the Killing Curse, and it is in the shape of you guessed it, a lightning bolt. No. The hand motion required to cast the killing curse is the mark that is left on Harry's forehead. Can you imagine if the motion was like the swish and flick one? Like what kind of scar he would have on his forehead? If he had the Wingardium Leviosa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he also resisted the Imperious curse multiple times. Mm-hmm. resisted it after being cast by Barty Crouch Jr., posing as Alistair Moody, which uh, Alistair Moody was also put under the Imperious Curse by uh, Wormtail and Barty Crouch Jr. Yep. And they were, like, constantly Imperious cursing him to keep him sedated. Which, that kind of makes you wonder, like, so if Harry was able to resist it, how in the world was Moody not able to resist it? A train aura. Like, how does that work? Well, you know, if you lose part of your body, like your, you know, your right eye or your leg. Yeah. Maybe it maybe maybe the resistance comes from the feet up. You know what I mean? You only have one foot to stand on. Lose an eye, lose your willpower. That wooden leg doesn't help you. Or metal one, if you've seen the movies saying like how is it that a teenager like and the first time that it happens to him he can resist it but like a train aura cannot i just yeah it's interesting you have to have the willpower i'm not saying that uh that alistair movie wasn't a strong-willed person but i do believe that he was a weak-minded person now let me let me finish this thought finish this thought because i believe what made him susceptible and vulnerable to the imperious curse was his paranoia and his anxiety. And because Mm. his mental health wasn't in the right place, he was susceptible, unable to resist the imperious curse. But I mean, was Harry mentally always in a great place? Oh, better than paranoid. That's kind of fair. Uh... Is Harry, you know, always mourning over not being able to have his parents eventually like you know he loses his godfather and he can't really openly mourn about that because everyone's like well he's a main a maniac that kill is responsible for the death but that didn't like affect his thought processes yeah you know what i mean like very much throughout the series like even though he goes through these traumatic experiences like the it doesn't look like the trauma really changes definitively the way that uh harry's brain functions It'll hit him in his late twenties. It'll hit him in his late twenties when he's realized everything yeah. he's gone through. The crippling yeah. anxiety comes over him. Now I don't like this, Abby, because once again I brought I brought an interesting point here, and you're starting to poke holes in it. I don't like it. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Harry also resists the Cruciatus curse. He resists the Cruciatus curse when 
Remember at the at the Battle of Hogwarts, after Harry has sacrificed himself for his friends and for Dumbledore's army, for the Order of the Phoenix, and they bring Harry Potter's body there, and uh, Voldemort's like, Harry Potter is dead! And, you know, there's, there's girls screaming and stuff. But they drop his body down there on the ground in dis- on display for everybody who's there outside of the school. And he's like, look, he's dead. And cast the Cruciatus Curse on Harry's body. Harry is still alive, and yet the Cruciatus Curse does nothing to him. He feels no pain. That's my dogs. So Harry feels absolutely no pain from the Cruciatus Curse. Now, I believe that this is partially because... Um, like we said before, you have to have the intent to cause pain, to cause harm. And if Voldemort truly believed that Harry Potter was dead, which he clearly does, that the Cruciatus Curse would do nothing, right? Because he has no intention of being able to cause pain to somebody who is already dead. So I think that he's using this curse more as just a kind of intimidation tactic, uh, a point, a way to prove his point but it's unable to hurt Harry because he has no understanding. He doesn't understand that Harry actually is alive and doesn't expect the curse to even work. So you have to have the intent and the expectancy, like was taught to Harry by Severus Snape, great man, that you have to have the intent expectancy as well for the magic to work. We didn't even talk about how cool the blinding green light is that comes out from the killing curse. I briefly mentioned it, but I moved on from it pretty quick. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bright green. I did watch a video in preparation for this uh, podcast where they were like, why Severus Snape's Avada Kedavra in Half-Blood Prince was blue instead of green? It was, wasn't it? Was it? Oh, now I get to here's, here's my problem with it because I feel like this was, I feel like I got clickbaited into this stupid thing because they, they were like, oh, look, his, his, Avada Kedavra is blue in the movie. Watch the movie. Here's the problem. When we see the Avada Kedavra spell cast, we uh, see it from Harry's perspective almost. Because Harry's like under the floorboards, and it's not even under the floorboards, but it's also behind a piece of glass, and that's totally distorting the image. So I think it's just that, I don't even think that it's Severus Snape's Avada Kedavra color was different. I think it's just that the image is or the view is distorted so that from behind the glass and all the darkness it looks more blue than green i don't know did i pop somebody's hole like I did I... i'm confused at how like the glass like they would put that much thought into having the glass distort the color like i don't know that seems a little wild to me well why would they make that choice to be like oh yeah by the way severus snape make that blue yeah you know what i mean I feel like it would have had to have been an intentional decision to make Severus Snape's Avada Kedavra blue instead of green. And then that has to be explained by somebody, right? Because whenever we see like there's intentional decisions that are made, like there's explanations for why they made that call. Like a mercy kill versus like an intentional mean-spirited kill. Now, one question that always comes up whenever somebody is talking about the unforgivable curses is why is it these three curses? Why these three were chosen to be unforgivable when there are other spells that are that are pretty nasty as well? I mean, like Sectum Sempra 
isn't one of the unforgivable curses, even though it's like absolutely vile and only useful for enemies. It's pretty nasty stuff. And then we also talked about our polyjuice potion episode, how morally gray and slippery polyjuice potion is. So what is it exactly about these three curses that they were called unforgivable? Well, I've got a theory, guys. I've got an idea. And this is a theory that you're not going to see on Reddit. You're not going to see any YouTube creators talking about this, which either means that it is such a bad idea that people who read the books would automatically know it's not correct, or your boy's visionary. Your boy's visionary. All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it. So this is this is just connecting my love of history, my love of real world history with my love of the Harry Potter world. Now, these were chosen to be the three unforgivable curses, the killing curse, the imperious curse and the cruciatus curse, the torture curse. Mm -hmm. These three were chosen to be unforgivable when the Ministry of Magic was first formed in 1717. What's interesting about that moment in history is that the Enlightenment had just begun in Europe. The Enlightenment beginning around 1715, around this time. So it's during this time, this revolution in an intellectual, philosophical revolution that takes place, that we see here the foundation of the Ministry of Magic, which becomes kind of a very democratic system um, when you think about it. It's a very democratic Enlightenment style government okay where the leaders are elected and there's you know the government is organized into different departments but these three go against the three main values of the enlightenment and i'll explain that what is it even in our u.s constitution we talk about inalienable rights god-given rights bestowed by their creator and these are what life liberty and the pursuit of happiness these right. three curses violate those inalienable rights. For life, obviously, the killing curse violates that. Liberty, freedom to choose, freedom to have autonomy is, is absolutely destroyed by the imperious curse. Right. Who wizards would use it to, you know, have people do things against their will. And then finally, the Cruciatus curse. What... What is it that is the opposite of the pursuit of happiness? It's absolute torment. And that we see in the Cruciatus curse, the torture curse. You know, when you first pitched this to, like, you didn't tell me the, like, thought behind it. But when you were telling me that, like, preparing me for, like, I don't know if this is, like, just something that is just a really good idea or it's not. But um, I'm impressed. I will say I am that. too. I agree. I like, like when you started, when you like, as soon as you said life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, I was like, oh my God. It I makes like, so I didn't much even sense. think of I'm it like, that I way. Could, I could yeah. see that. I mean, this is some, I mean, and I listen to a lot of, I listened to Harry Potter theory. I listened to Super Carlin Brothers on this. And, you know, I, I did not hear anybody bring this kind of idea up or make this correlation. Maybe there's a Reddit or a Tumblr page out there somewhere that talks about this. But this is like the idea that I had because there are some other curses that would like be just as like terrible. Like there's there are plenty of terrible curses. I mean, obviously, Sectum Sempra right. wasn't invented in 1717. Right. 
But it's like, how come they haven't added more to the list? Why is it that those stayed the same just as over centuries? So we're looking at over 250 years, 260 years by the time that Harry Potter is born. Mm-hmm. And they have not added a single spell to this list. I mean, like the U.S. Constitution added amendments. Right. We started out with 10 and we were we were still amending that sucker. I'm mostly interested to know how you came upon this like sort of theory. Like what what was going on that made you like because as I said, like I'm impressed that you thought of this because it's never crossed my mind. Like never. This mostly came from a message that I was preparing when I was talking about the Great Awakening. Okay. Which took place in like the 1720s all the way up to like the 1750s. Right. That 30 year period. And I talked and researched about enlightenment values and kind of like the core tenets of the enlightenment. Right. And these were like the ideas that pop up. And and that's kind of where the correlation came from, because we had just, you know, we're, you know, working on this uh, podcast and talking about it and talking about the idea. Mm -hmm. And so like just those two things kind of merged together. And I'll tell you what, it's 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 hard to explain genius, Abby. (laughs) you know what i mean but i'll give it a try here there's just like this moment of inspiration it's like the cartoon light bulb that goes up yeah that's fair you know what i agree with abby like it makes so much sense because you would think after all these years there would be a huge list after all this after all this time you think there'd be a huge list of unforgivable curses but there's only three and even in throughout the books they don't add more like even after the war you know, there would be some amendments on, hey, you know what? This needs to be something that we should never do. Or even maybe a, a separate list for unforgivable potions. You know, like the Polyjuice potion could be on a list. Right. You know, to impersonate somebody. But, I mean, I can't, I can't fight it. It makes sense. It makes complete sense to me. Yeah, I mean, it seems weird that all of a sudden the Ministry of Magic, especially with the Cruciatus curse, because you were like research that and it was like such a common curse that people would use, like almost like gentlemen's duels, like people would just be using the Cruciatus curse on each other because, you know, it's the Middle Ages, different times. This is the time where if anybody like came in and raided your village, you were like, well, that just happens. You know what I mean? (laughs) It just wasn't your day. You're like, no well, it just, it got dark out and that's when all the riffraff show up. You know, you got to <laughs> expect it. You got you to gotta stay on your feet. Keep your head on a swivel. <laughs> Plus, people were going through. Life was pain. Think about that. I imagine the Cruciatus curse probably only tickled people in the Middle Ages. <laughs> you know, I mean, they were like, Psh, you kidding me? I lived through the Black Death. You right, think so the Cruciatus the curse has got anything on me? We were Ooh. drowning people because they looked like a witch. That's true. And then the real witches, uh, according to the Harry Potter universe, would cast like the flame tickling spell or whatever right, yeah. it was. In that in that part of the books that there's it a is, yeah, part of the, uh, Harry's class, trials. he's writing a book on this person who like got himself caught like 18 times or something because yeah. he liked uh, being he tickled liked by the flames. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's when you're like, all right, we got to protect these people. You'd think after a while they'd be like, "Didn't we burn this person?" Like- right. Yeah. Well, you go you know, to different towns, you know. You get they go into a different town. You feel like it's like one of those cartoons where they just put on a mustache. You're like, "I'm right. not Harry. I'm him, Larry." <laughs> you- oh, you mean my brother? Well, I too am a witch. Right. <laughs> I sure me. hope you do not burn me as you did my brother Harry. <laughs> and if you try to burn me, don't worry. I have five cousins. <laughs> 
that look that exactly all look suspiciously like me. Like me. <laughs> but those are the three curses. Unforgivable. Unforgivable. All right. If you guys had to list, we'll we'll finish with this list. Okay. The unforgivable curses in order, one being the worst, three being the least bad of the unforgivable curses. I feel like number one's easy, and there's two and three that are tough. But you see, you know, as I said, though, with the, the Imperious Curse, I'm just thinking of, like, when I watched Bird Box, and there was that scene where that person just walked into a burning car and sat down because they were told to kill themselves. Like, that can be what happens with the Imperious Curse. And you That's have how people no die in Bird Box? Well, one person In the died. beginning, yeah. yeah. Well, they look at the thing and the, it tells them to kill themselves? Yeah. Pretty much, thing. yeah. Yeah. I cannot resist. So it's like, I mean, I don't know. The, when you think about it with the Cruciatus Curse, the, that's the one thing that you can probably get away from alive. You might not have your sanity. And I'm not saying that's even like the best way to like escape out of it. Like, do you really want to survive sometimes, you know, depending on what's happening to you? Well, let's phrase it this way. Do you think Hermione is happy or sad that Bellatrix used the Cruciatus Curse on her? I think she's happy about it. <laughs> Would she rather have the Cruciatus Curse or Avada Kedavra? Which one do you think? Mm, I suppose. But for me, bird's eye view, I think it's very easy to rank these in order of one to three. Now, but... I mean, it's entirely based on circumstance. Right. So, I mean, if you're just going to say which one's which one's two and three, like, obviously being alive is better than being dead. But if, when you look at Frank and Alice Longbottom, you have to ask yourself, well, are they alive or are they dead? And in that case, yeah. you'd rather have a clean kill than the long kill, right? Mm-hmm. Not even the long kill, just not even, like, being able to exist how you once did. You yeah, know, they are. They're they are in a long kill because they're slowly just wasting away and dying. Right? Aren't we all in the long kill, Liz? But aren't we all being <laughs> long killed? Aren't isn't the long kill awaiting us all? <laughs> no, you're not in a vegetative state, handing out gum wrappers at Saint Mungo's. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just saying, they all seem like a bummer. Poor I think Neville. there's a clear ranking of one, two, and three. All right, Liz, so give your give your rankings. Imperius is the best. Cruciatus is like the, <laughs> the middle child. And then uh, Avada Kedavra is the worst. Of course, if I had a resurrection stone, <laughs> obviously Avada Kedavra would rank number two. But the resurrection stone doesn't even really bring you back. Obviously, if I had a Horcrux living inside of me and I had a Resurrection Stone, Avada Kedavra would be number two. Exactly. Again, circumstances. If I had a centaur statue running in front of me, or a phoenix that could swallow a curse, I'll take the killing curse. <laughs> All right, so Liz has got the ranking. Abby, what about you? It feels like you're conflicted. As I said, like, it really just depends on the circumstances. And I guess, too, you said it as well. Like, you really just, if you could see what was going to happen, like, how you'd walk away from it, that'd be more clear cut. Whereas with the killing curse, you know for a fact how you're going to walk away from it. 
you're you're not but it's like are you gonna be tortured but then it's like you know it's just done you're let go or like you know are you gonna be tortured to the point of insanity are you just going to be like cursed to deliver a necklace to someone and then you're let go or are you going to be like you know used to it's going to be used to make you drown yourself i mean Mm -hmm. it's just i don't know I feel like the Cruciatus curse being tortured to insanity is a very circumstantial case. We don't hear this happening to anyone else except the Longbottoms. Right. That's a fair point. I don't know. I feel pretty torn on the Imperius and the Cruciatus one. Plus, when you're under the Imperius curse, you're like happy-go-lucky. Yeah. You know, you feel like you just drank a fresh vial of Felix Felicis. You know, you're just... Yeah. You're not feeling not feeling a care in the world. That's true. Yeah. So then if you do die under the Imperius curse, is it that much worse? Is it worse than, you know, being subjected to the torture of the Cruciatus curse? Even not to the point of insanity, but to the point of where Voldemort would do with his victims to where you're wishing that you were dead. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I wonder like, so you're like, you know, he's put it says you're put in a dreamlike state, mm-hmm. but it's like I wonder if someone was to come up and like even pinch you while that was happening. I mean, would you notice it? Would you feel it? And you know that goes into the whole thing of it's like you know. So if you are under the Imperius curse and something's being and you're being forced to do something, like are, I don't know how much of it are you actually feeling? I feel like you'd feel it, but you'd be like nice about it. You'd be like, hey man, ouch. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, one to your head. You have to pick one to three. I'm I'm just gonna think? say I am split on the that is not an answer. One to your a head. tie for we've got a tie for third. <laughs> I'm tying it and then obviously uh, like the killing curse is last place. And that I, Okay, so we got a tie for third. Chris, you're our honored guest. I what know. are your what are your uh, thoughts? Your closing like, argument thoughts on uh on the on the uh, unforgivable curses, I'm usually I'm the type of person like usually it's kind of hard for me to pick like oh here's my here's my number one here's my number two, but I kind of agree because they're good points like Imperio it, I mean it it just depends on what they make you do, right? Crucial you're like okay I know it's gonna be a bad time the question is how long are they gonna torture me like I know it's torture is right. it gonna be you know a couple minutes is it gonna be to the point that I'm mentally unstable and I'm in St. Mung. Like, I mean, cause that's what we keep going to. Cause that's pretty much what we have. Um, that's the extreme that we have. Yeah, but that's the extreme. But he, I mean, I'm trying to think of like some of the, the lesser ones, I guess. Cause we saw, if we're going off the movies, you saw, um, we saw like Ollivander. We, we know he was tortured and we saw uh, Hermione. She was tortured. I don't know. I think Imperio would still have to be like the least for me. That's I don't fair. know because the other two, yeah, the other two for sure are for certain. You know, with Crucio, you're for sure getting tortured. Avada Kedavra, Avada Kedavra. I keep saying it wrong. Avada Kedavra. You know for sure, like, okay, I'm dead. That's it. This is it's over. I think Imperio has to be has to be the least for me. I want to go back in finishing to something that Chris talked about, where you have to have the intent and what the intent does to your soul. And so I think the uh, the biggest question is, as these curses are so 
heinous uh, that they've been marked as unforgivable. I believe it's because of the things that they do to the soul of the person who casts them to uh, be in the mental state, to dominate the will of others, to take away their liberty or to cause pain or even to end their existence, which as we've uh, learned from Tom Riddle in his search to create more horcruxes, shattered his soul, split it into pieces. Mm -hmm. So the effects of these unforgivable curses clearly aren't just what happens to the victim, but what happens to the caster as well. The person who's casted them is marring their own soul um, to use them. And I think that's what makes these especially heinous and dangerous. Well, there you have it. Tools for serial killers and sadists. The unforgivable curses sometimes used by heroes, but we don't mention that very much in civilized conversation. As with you always, I'm Roger Clementine. Some say that some unforgivable bad. curses are okay. I say no way, Charlie. Come join us next time for more on the Slug Club Podcast. Thanks, you guys, for joining us for this episode of the Slug Club Podcast. If you like the conversation and you want to hear more, you can find the Slug Club Podcast on Spotify or also on Apple Podcasts. If you want to join in on the conversation and give us ideas for new conversations, new podcast episodes, you can follow us on our social media at The Slug Club on Instagram or on Facebook. We'll see you guys later, but until then, mischief managed. The Slug Club podcast is a creative discussion between Harry Potter fans and has no affiliation whatsoever with Warner Brothers, J.K. Rowling, or any of their affiliates. All opinions expressed in the Slug Club podcast are completely our own. No house elves were harmed in the making of this episode.